This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. Hi everybody, it's Ginny and Ellis here and today's podcast is on what trends we think there will be in technical communication for 2022 and beyond. Hello. Uh, Welcome. So we asked a number of questions on various social media platforms and got some interesting responses. We'll go through the ones on LinkedIn first. And there was a comment by Walter Fieken, who's a software and API technical writer at Booking.com. And he said one of the trends will be unprecedented talent shortages. In other words, a shortage of technical writers, technical authors. And a couple of people commented on that on LinkedIn. One was Robert Powers, who said that will lead to automation of basic writing and editing functions, accompanied by further fragmentation into more specialist or specialized disciplines, such as content strategy, UX writing, and information architecture. And Ashish Gupta, who is a techcom and content strategy person at Adobe in Bombay, add content validation, production, audit, localization systems to the automation list as well. So there's two sides to what they're saying there. One is that there was or will be and there's a shortage of technical authors and the other is that will lead to artificial intelligence coming to the fray. I think we have seen this year shortages to come up more than it has in the past and I think that will continue as the authors that were around in the 1980s and got trained by IBM and digital and the like are retiring that pathway into technical writing went maybe 20 years ago it became a second career for people and with the growth of content strategy and user interface development content designers I think that's having an effect on the amount of people who call themselves technical authors that are coming around. So I think I agree with that uh, as being one of the trends for next year. Yes, I, I think you're right, Ellis. And I think one of the issues that our particular career has always had is is the way into technical authoring. And it does very much seem to be, from, for, for the majority of authors that I speak to, it's something that they came to later there's not the traditional route through university to get to become an author and we have now seen many changes within the industry not least of this the automation of much of what can be done well they're talking here about the automatic generation of content so that you could in some ways have a piece of software look at an application and automatically generate some of the content, be it the user interface screens or even the help file. And I think we're a little bit away from everyone being out of a job at this stage. And for us, I mean, strategically, we started developing e-learning courses a number of years ago because people were looking to become technical writers and needed that those skills and that writing. And certainly our foundation course has become very popular as a result where people are looking to build up their skills and move across into technical writing. Yes. I don't know so much about what happens with the larger organisations and what they're 
training departments like mm. these days. Certainly, we do quite a lot of in-house training with our policy and procedures course, for example, which has a writing element as part of it. Uh, we get a lot of a lot of traction with that course. So we find that larger organisations are looking to training companies, external training providers such as Cherry Leaf, to give these courses to their in-house teams. Yeah, we've had some big companies sign up to the e-learning courses as a bulk buy, as it were, and then have it accessible by their team, mainly to see that they could get everybody up to the same level. Most of the, the team members, the writers, have been writing for number of years but they've just never formally been trained so we've had some companies go that route so that there's a base level for everybody in the team that everyone's had do you want to take the next question or the next comment yes a comment from marianne crowder who is a freelance technical writer and product owner and the comment is the the right to repair legislation may create more demand for consumer-facing docs in hardware sector sectors. Short-form video could work well for that market as long as it's made accessible with subtitles, etc. What do you think about that, Ellis? Well, we don't get involved a great deal in hardware. Our main area has been software and, as you said, policies and procedures. There has always been an interest in people fixing things for themselves. And some companies have made that harder to do, certainly with products that get more complex, like mobile phones and the like. And we have seen, obviously, the popularity of video with sites like YouTube. YouTube, I think, is the second most popular search engine out there. I think she's right because you know, the right to repair legislation that ticks not just ticks a lot of boxes for people, but given everything that's going on with our planet currently, yeah. the whole thing about reusing sustainability and so on, I think that legislation, we are going to see a lot more adherence to that. And so I think absolutely that there will be a consumer demand. Yeah, and the subtitles, making it accessible is another factor. YouTube automatically generated subtitles have got a lot better, but they are still a long way from being perfect. The thing on YouTube, I mean, it's it's a great repository. You can find a lot of information on there, but, there, you know, there's, there's too much information, isn't there? So it's sifting through and finding information that is accurate and authoritative and, and how do you tell yeah, and it's fine, or it maybe doesn't matter if somebody's reviewing an episode of Doctor Who and YouTube mistakes do for don't. But if it's your video and your product and it does mistranslate do for don't, that could lead you into having an exposure to risk of being sued for, for providing incorrect or misleading information. And to do subtitles properly, or closed captions, as they're called in America, it does take time to get a professional to do it for you. It takes money as well. That's a, an extra consideration when you are creating videos as a way of supporting customers. Yeah, absolutely. Should we have a look at the next, yeah, next I've, comment? I've got to pronounce this correctly. Micah, I think, Gronavega, who is a, a conversation designer, linguist, content architecture, 
her job titles indicate that one of the trends that she sees there, and this links in with artificial intelligence again, and that is natural language interfaces, voice interfaces, and a return of semantic technology. So chatbots being part of that, I would see, and creating chatbots often does mean that you need to impose some semantic structure to the content so that the software can identify things like what is the question, what is the intent, and what is the answer, and be able to look through a body of knowledge and find the right answer and give that to somebody. Chatbots have probably gone through the hype stage now, and I've, I noticed a thread yesterday. What's your experience with Melis? Good experience, bad experience? Well, I had to help my dad out with his new bank account last week, and the help or the support was a, a chat dialogue screen. I think I'm pretty certain it was a real life person that was answering the questions and that worked rather than an automated one. Where I have seen them work well is where you raise a support ticket and it guides you to an answer rather than you raising the support ticket. And it does some testing there, but some of the other situations, they can be a bit like Microsoft Clippy coming up in the wrong situation, not being contextually aware. So I think they've got some way to go to to be... Yeah, there's a level of frustration. I've found when I've come across them that, yeah, not been able to find the right answer. I've been guided to help files, which I've already looked at. Mm. Of course, being a technical author, I do actually look (laughs) at the help files. So I found them quite frustrating, Mm. I would say at the point where I felt like I've needed to use them. I found them almost used by large organisations almost as a fobbing off exercise, to be perfectly honest. I agree. I think they've got a a way to go. I think if the investment was there, and they could be great. The developments for cloud computing and the strides that are being made at the moment mean that things could change in the near future and they could get to being better than they are now. Do you want to go with the next one? This is from Susan Duran, Mm -hmm. who is a product information manager at Atlas Kotka. The comment is AI and late or no binding, just delivering topics. So what do we think about this, Ellis? Well, I've not heard the phrase binding before. So I'm assuming what it means is that there's a separation between the publication side and the writing and that authors will focus more on just writing content and there will be other people who focus and develop the deliverables, the the publications and the outputs. They're binding. That's a new term for me, actually. I'm not really sure. We'll have to look into that. I think the next person to make a comment was Christian Welter, who is a TCOM certified technical writer. So he echoes that as well, AI. Yeah, short and to the point with uh, his comment. Yes. <laughs> Clear and concise writing. Mm. We like that. Okay. Who else have we got? We've got Deepesh Shubisa, yeah. who's a researcher and scholarly reader. Okay. And the comment here is soon guides and help topics will be seen in my copy or media within UI. Insights and analytics-based writing will prevail to customise. Editor apps will increase suggestions and adopt AI to automate write-ups. 
evolutions will be seen in the methods and terminologies. Okay, so again, AI mentioned once more. So I think yeah. this has been a theme that the first thing that he says there has been happening for a while and will continue, and that is that help is moving into the user interface. And this is connected with software as a service, connected to the fact that companies want to avoid customer churn. So they want them to have success early on and stay with the product. And if they go, if they start as a free user, they move on to being a paying user. And with the content being on the web, you have the ability to identify individual users and track what individual users do and then use analytics to spot where they give up, where they move their mouse and start trying to reread sections or trying to click on things that shouldn't be clickable. And so I think he's right. Analytics, when it is within a web-based application, can be used within technical documentation support. I, we did a project about two years ago one of the products they had, it could track when people were using certain menus or modules within the application. If somebody started to use a module and then stopped, that would trigger, after a series of days, a, um, a series of emails and flag up to the account manager that this person might be struggling with this and giving them training materials and encouragement to go back and give it a go to use that product again. In fact, the, the cost of this product meant that the, each company had its own personalized account manager and the account manager would phone them up and could offer personalized one-to-one -one training to get them to use that particular module. And that was all being done by spotting the analytics of where people were going with applications, how much they were using it, if they were giving up or not. It was very impressive. That we could see more of. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Albeit expensive. Yeah, that thing. Somebody else we know, um, Danielle. I've met Danielle at the ISTC conference, the TCUK conferences in the past. She's in the States, east side of the States, technical communicator, saying she's specialising in content design UX. There's the theme again. Technical writing and editing and instructional design. Danielle said, I see a continued need for plain language and globalisation slash localisation. Structured authoring. As much as it has been touted for a couple of decades now, is still barely getting traction, but that's growing. Less of an emphasis on knowing technico, techno babble and more emphasis on actually writing clear, concise and cogent content. Well, you're an expert on clear and concise content. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's true, isn't it? We still come across lots of content that is quite incomprehensible and the fact that our courses are so popular on teaching people how to write and pointing out the skills required for plain English and that's before we even get into taking more complicated technical documentation. I think one of the things that I like to look at is gov.uk website which has a fantastic team of writers and they put a lot of money into that website the content that we see there is explained in a very clear, concise way. And I think that should be the model going forward. However, much documentation, still very badly written, very difficult to understand. Our next comment, this is from Abdul Ghani Shahzeb. 
who's a technical writer and technical proposal writer. Comment is becoming one of the essentials of all the technical fields since we are adopting remote norms more progressively. Technical writing is transforming into non-verbal authoring and creating a long-lasting impact. UX writing will become the expression of tomorrow. I think there's a couple of bits there. One is that there will be more non-verbal authoring, so images and videos. True, but hard to maintain. Soon as the user interface changes, your videos can be out of date. UX writing is still text-based. And again, this thing of the moving of the help into the user interface getting software as a service, getting people to see success early on. So certainly agree with the UX writing side of things. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then via Twitter, a comment from Adrian Wall. Yeah. Uh, perhaps you'd like to have a look yeah, at that. So Adrian, I think still at the Ministry of Justice, again, somebody who's spoken at different conferences, he said multiple media types to enrich and enhance beyond text, increasing automation and dynamic customization for genuinely personalized information, greater demand for evidence of effectiveness in communication objectives, exponential growth in ratio of meta to data. So there's quite a few things there, some we've talked about and some that haven't been mentioned before. Yeah, the greater demand for for evidence of effectiveness in communication objectives. So measuring, yeah, I'm guessing. Which you can do now, which, I mean, before when somebody had a printed book, you never knew when that person opened that book in in their home or at work. With content on the web, of course, you can track things much more. Yeah, of course. You know how many people have looked at your pages, have landed on particular topic you've got the comments page a lot more interactive isn't it but it's pulling all that data together and churning that out yeah the other thing there personalized information and dynamic information so you you build a piece of content on the fly based on who the person is what they've just done what they're trying to do and then you present to them the information that's optimized to that particular situation and doing that filtering and personalization automatically, uh, sometimes called omni-channel. This has been talked about in recent years as well. It's You've got to have the customer base and the amount, the volume of content to be able to do that and to justify the time and, and effort to, to do that. Yeah. It's a bit like targeted advertising. Yeah. Targeted documentation. Yeah which takes you back to do that, you need that semantic marking up of content. And that links then into what Adrian said about the ratio of meta to data. The more metadata, semantic information you add to the content at either document level or within a sentence level or individual phrase level to be able to say, okay, this is, you would use this phrase or this sentence for this type of audience or in this situation. I agree with that. I think that will increase and we'll see a lot of that our next comment is from craig wright tech writer he is telling us that his gut feelings are more api document technical writers needed Mm -hmm. tech writers to be more associated with those than before also he said more tech writers moving into content design and ux writing due to opportunities there i think that certainly echoes what we've seen with projects that have come our way, would you say, Alice, that 
definitely API documentation very much in demand as a skill. Yes, I do. And somebody said, and I don't know if it's true, that 40% of developers at the moment are developing APIs. There's been a big growth in companies developing APIs. And you can't use an API without documentation. You don't know what information you can exchange. You don't know where it is to exchange it. You don't know what's doable and not doable. And then at the basic level, what does this API do? Why should I use it? How do I get started? How do I sign up? What does this mean? And it freaks out a lot of technical authors and developers struggle in creating that content. And we've seen a big interest in that area and and us doing that on APIs and developer portals. Yeah, definitely. I would recommend for tech authors, get your heads around Mm. that because that's definitely a growth area that we've noticed. So the comment that Craig said on LinkedIn led to Charlotte Clausen and Craig to have a thread or conversation. And Charlotte said, agreed. In fact, I see this pattern already. And she said, if people have ever heard of something called technical writing, they associate it with developer docs. I, for one, will be moving into other areas as I'm interested in other types of technical communication. Well, we found that there are quite interesting elements to these type of projects and you get more buy-in from teams to spend time attention and money on getting it right and the boring stuff such as the reference content can be generated programmatically automatically so some of the less interesting aspects can be taken away even code samples can be generated automatically now and that means that it can be interesting even if you're not from a developer background Craig says, same here. Craig basically has zero interest in doing API docs. Craig, I'm kind of a little bit with you <laughs> on that one. I probably shouldn't say that, but although, Ellis, you have just made it sound a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I think they've been quite interesting. You look at these sites and you think, what on earth does this product do? Why would anybody want to use it? And they've got themselves tied up into knots not actually given any explanation as to why anybody would use their product and going back to basics of saying you know it solves this problem and the benefits are are this can have a huge impact and just asking very very basic questions almost like your sorrel and sugar or a troubleshooter going in and saying why what benefit will this bring me yeah Yeah. why am i using the transformation aspect yeah there's the opportunity to do that, and it has a big impact, a tangible impact. What else did Craig say? He said, copywriters and UX writers seem to transition to content design a lot, and technical writers are left out of the equation largely. Yet a lot of us have the information design background, including master's or undergraduate degrees in it. And that move to user interface, UX writing, it's true that people doing that tend to be from a journalism background or a user experience background. Now that leaves the question, why is that? Why is that? I think part of it is that technical authors don't understand the words or don't aren't familiar with the words yet to use in terms of the terminology. The tools are different, but they're not that particularly complex to use. I think the difference is that the people that have got more of a research background well, research and analytics background, 
journalists have got a research background and they go out and they interview people. They're very good at that. And people with a usability background are good at analytics, doing A-B testing and the like. And for all of the skills that technical authors have in writing, I think that is a missing part of the jigsaw. I think to make that my, I'll come to something else a little bit later as a way in, but a big jump in, I think the migration requires boosting up of skills in being able to do usability testing, usability research, and having that background so they can talk the language of the teams that are doing that. Agreed. Next comment, this is from Helen Mulally, who says, technical writing blends well with XD or UX writing. Experience designed XD. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see more tech writers in voice-activated interface writing. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, themes we've had from others previously. Not much more to say on that. Similar here from Starfall projects, um, again, going back to the API documents and API design. Personally, I'd love to see more tech writers involved in both API docs and API design. They're wondering whether that will happen. So Darfall is Deborah Barnard. It's interesting to see with some of the projects that we have been involved with doing developer portals and API documentation, that teams can find creating an API difficult. And it can be because of legacy situations, technical debt, and they're trying to add an API to an existing platform. And then questions over how they design the API because of speed and performance issues and looking at solutions over and above REST, things like GDPL, ways to get the responses faster. And there are some decisions on how you make the API usable. So it it is interesting because part of it is still planning and designing and structuring to make the from a usability perspective, to make that happen. I suspect you would need to be like Deborah and be fairly technical to get into the nitty-gritty of the API design. Yeah, that's definitely the technical end, isn't it? Which, for some authors, they really like that. Yeah. And then Glenn Lee said, video production as a required skill. We've had video come up a number of times this year, haven't we? That's interesting. We have. Maybe we just all need to get the latest iPhone. (laughs) We've got great video making capacity. We don't do a lot of this, do we? We've done some, and we obviously video record the e-learning courses. But as a required skill? We've only been asked to create videos and video walkthroughs a few times. I think with video production, there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. To have it as a required skill, I, for one, would be interested in learning more about it, actually. It does seem to be a whole other strand, though. There's the presentation, and then there's the content. And do technical authors get involved with both layers? Okay, what does Rahel have to say? Rahel and Bailu. Her comment is more granular molecular content and the need to manage it outside of tools meant for casual business use, uh, Google Docs, Words, and so on. So adapting tools such as help authoring tools for that and the need for a tech writer to run the software and manage the repository. So slowly more opportunities. Yeah, this is the thing of reusable content and content that can be repurposed and reused in other ways. And with Google Docs and Word, it's sort of a narrative essay-based model. And it's been very hard to reuse chunks or snippets if you're authoring in Word. There is a new tool that Microsoft have launched called Loop, which has got some embeddable 
elements in it, but it seems to be more with PowerPoint and Excel than Word itself. Something we need to look at. Flare, RoboHelp and the other tools, you can do snippets. You do have reasonable chunks. It's that thing of can those tools migrate into wider business use? And we've seen that to an extent with the policies and procedures where we've done stuff in those tools to create good business procedures. But sometimes there can be trip ups like trying to get that content to display in SharePoint. Yeah, it's problematic, isn't it? Because if you have a lot of authors, a lot of people creating content in your organisation, they tend to, everyone's using Word still. But you go back to gov.uk and the model they had was that no one could publish online unless it went through the government digital service. They stopped anybody having a publish button apart from GDS. And so they would take content written by different people and make sure that it was standardized to the level and quality that they wanted it paid off but it takes that level of leadership doesn't it and very much the investment yeah a top-down approach yeah i mean certainly in terms of just online forms things like that it's just so much more joined up streamlined now isn't it i mean it's slightly different with gov.uk in that it's a service you are doing things like getting yeah. tax making claims so it's a hybrid between content and a software application it's a government service yeah it is i find it interesting because they've got of course such a huge audience basically the whole of the uk so i think it works very well yeah so charlotte again charlotte clausen in this case saying her thoughts and she said in software i see an increased focus on accessibility and inclusion it has long been something professionals talk about now it's something companies invest in Raj has said that all these apply to native English writers, I guess, talking about the need for localization as well. Yes, it's not something I know enough about. So we'd have to talk to Raj a little bit more about that. It'd be good to find out more about that. Certainly from our side, yes, I think accessibility and inclusion is less of a tick boxing exercise now. Yeah, I think think that may be driven by the growth in mobile phones. So you have to have content that works on a small screen and the search engines Mm -hmm. where you have to have content that they can read. So it's equivalent to a blind person looking at content via a screen reader. And I think Mm -hmm. that has helped drive things. And legislation has been around now for a long time. Yes, absolutely. A couple more comments here. Vinish Garg echoing the API comments and he says the API docs are likely to become a part of product itself and tech writers with skills and API docs should be in high demand. The conventional help centre might continue to struggle in the same fight between support, marketing, conversations, customer touchpoint and positioning. Well, I think we're back to help moving from being in a manual which is not necessarily a bad thing because of that thing of no one reads a manual or if it's where they are reading it that's that's no bad thing then it comes to who writes the content there's a world of difference between marketing content and support content it's a different style of writing and equally people that are providing first level support they may or may not have the skills to write instructional content So I think there's still going to be a need for people with those skills, whether they work in a support department or whether they work within the marketing department. 
but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I agree. We've got a comment here from the Write the Docs Slack channel from Mashuk. Also, there's a continued increase in API writing and improving the API UX or developer experience, especially in UK government sector. More and more government departments are opening up APIs. Yeah. Again, the API comment there. And that seems to have echoed all the way through. Do you think that's a comprehensive list? Was there anything that you think, in addition to those, we might see? In, in addition to what we've heard? Yeah. I mean, certainly my first comment would have been the APIs as well. And also their focus on accessibility and inclusion. I think I've noticed that a lot more. For all of the trends, still the basics are needed and still important. And the, the ability to have just plain, findable, accessible, usable, useful content is still core to what is needed. What about onboarding? Onboarding. I think this is something else that we will see as a trend in general and as a trend for technical authors, technical communicators. So it's part of this move, as we've mentioned, of the help into the user interface. We've seen it a lot with APIs because people have developed APIs and then they've not been successful and they wonder why. And part of it has been barriers to getting people to experience success with them. So what do we mean by onboarding? I'll take a quotation from Crystal Higgins, who wrote a book called Better Onboarding and is at Google in Australia. She said, onboarding is support in the context of a user's interaction with a product instead of a one-size-fits-all piece of instruction. At the beginning of the onboarding experience, it can provide different methods that suit users in different situations. It can be part of a long-term guidance within products. Existing users may be onboarded when new features or redesigns are released. So that definition means it's guided learning and it's more than just the first time somebody uses the product, but as they use it. And she talks about five different programs within onboarding, some being user interface inline help, some being defaults, one also being in her definition, online help. So I see this as an easier migration path for technical authors to get involved with contributing to user interface than just saying, I can do UX writing. And what that means is that if you say, well, help is part of onboarding, you've got the core skills, you're the expert in doing that. And you can do some of these other elements that onboarding has. So for example, it's, I think, a smaller step to say, well, let me do the content for what happens when somebody signs up. So the emails they receive and maybe a sequence of emails to guide them through using it. So we can provide content from the help in emails to guide them through to use the product. So I think it's an opportunity for technical authors to to show their skills and for people to think we need to get this done. It needs somebody with skills in writing task-based information it makes sense for this person to do that work. I think it's an easier migration path. So I think onboarding as an opportunity for technical authors and its importance growing in areas like APIs and importance with software as a service that it becoming more important. I think this will be a trend that we'll see coming maybe in 2022 or later 
as a bigger theme and a bigger opportunity for technical authors. Well, we are nearly in 2022. True. <laughs> this is true, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to all our contributors yeah, thank you. to that discussion. That was really interesting. Yeah, if people have got others that we haven't mentioned, they can share them. And if there's a number of them, we can pick it up on another podcast episode. It's info at cherryleaf.com. And part of the plan with our training courses is to offer the skills that people need to migrate into these areas. So have a look at our training courses on the cherryleaf.com website. And also part of the services that we offer are to provide services in doing these things like APIs and onboarding videos. Yes. AI and chatbots. Watch this space. We'll say on that. I think that's it, isn't it? Anything else? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been interesting reading those comments and discussing them this morning. I certainly echo what you were saying there about the onboarding, Ellis. I think that's set to be a trend. And of course, API documentation. So I would say to everyone, yep, get your heads around yeah, that. And the AI one, people were saying about that, that's something... This is one useful thing on this is it's a a good measure for us to check whether we're going in the right direction. That's another common theme there. Yeah. Right. So who's going to say thank you for listening? You or me? Let's say it at the same time. One, two, three. Thank you for listening.